Folks, Mackenzie Lambert here, your host for Mac and the Movies, where we adventure through Art House and Grind House. It is official. The podcast is three years old. We are going to continue our anniversary celebration with another four films from the Wheel of Fulci. Last time we had some gems of varying quality in Touch of Death, Manhattan Baby, Conquest, and Silver Saddle. What four films await us this round? Keep listening to find out. Also, we have a segment that should be intriguing. There will be a foreign horror movie draft featuring regular collaborator John Cleveland and myself, but we will be joined by a luminary in the world of professional wrestling-related content and is a horror movie scholar himself, Sean Oliver, whom you probably know from Kayfabe Commentaries. Without further ado, let's give the wheel a spin. opens in Sicily, 1486, where some nuns guilty of heresy are crucified, left to die in the cold underground. This incident is witnessed by a group via seance in 1990 Toronto. One of the participants, Liza, is overcome and falls unconscious. She wakes up in her dorm under the watch of Professor Paul Evans. He warns her not to be involved in those superstitions. They head out to an excavation in Sicily the next day. The excavation site has been the target of much scrutiny of the locals because they're near the cursed monastery where the nuns were killed centuries earlier. 
Despite the warning of one of the locals, Liza enters the monastery and finds the underground tomb of the nuns. Soon, people are murdered as the evil of the tomb has been unknowingly unleashed by Liza. Demonia is a late career directorial effort by Fulci. He co-wrote the film and it features a number of callbacks to previous films. The crucifixions recall the fate of Schweik in the beyond. The sequence of Liza being overcome at the seance is almost a shot-for-shot recreation of the opening sequence in City of the Living Dead. The archaeology element borrows from Manhattan Baby, yet these come off as shortcuts since they lack the finesse Fulci displayed in the original iterations of those sequences. There is no shortage of messed up imagery, as you would expect from a Fulci film. A baby is set on fire. One person's tongue is nailed to a chopping block. A decapitated head is found spiked on an anchor. A man gets wishboned. Another recall from the same fate befalling a woman in conquest. The music is by Giovanni Cristiani. The opening music cue would later be used on an album, Requiem in Blood, which contained the music scores for City of the Living Dead and The Beyond. Both scores by Fabio Frizzi and not Cristiani. As long as the guy got properly comped, then I guess it doesn't really matter. Here's a side-by-side presentation of both. returns in the role of Professor Evans, he loses the charm from Touch of Death and takes on academic sternness. He's disciplinary with Liza over the supernatural shenanigans she gets caught up in. Meg Register as Liza takes on the lead role head-on. She is game and not afraid to be physical when necessary. She also sells the terror of the situation. Register made her debut in the Billy Crystal Gregory Hines classic, Running Scared. Lino Salami took on the role of Turi, the harbinger of the film, who warns Liza. He got his start with a pair of Demons films from Lamberto Bava. He ended his acting career as one of Jesus' accusers in Mel Gibson's Jerusalem Crucifixion Massacre. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, that meant uh, Passion of the Christ. Al Cliver has a small role as one who drops the exposition, and Fulci quasi-cameos as the detective. Demonia shows Fulci in a reflective state in his career. This film allowed Fulci to recreate some of the classic scenes of past efforts, but to a lower degree of success. Brad Halsey and Meg Register give it their all with the material. 
If you're a fan of the ultraviolet, then this one is for you. All right, let's give the wheel another spin. Sooner or later, we kill The daughter's death was an accident which we haven't managed to explain. An epidemic of accidents, and all of them pretty weird. Death is not the end of everything. Just the beginning of a new journey. I want to speak with them. But there are limits. Barriers. We set up those barriers in self-defense. Perhaps we hold possibilities within ourselves we are not aware of. Powers we ourselves don't understand. Maybe we don't want to, because we're terrified. I have such powers, and I'm not terrified. You haven't gotten me out of bed just to look at me. Well, I think it's a good idea. Well, I hope you've got a better one. Better, but uh, not so good. Now, I need some more information on your theories about cats. Not cats. One cat. All right, one cat. A killer cat. For you, it's a theory. For me, it's a certainty. He would have to have thought it out. In the case of the two kids, it was the cat also. They'll think we're crazy if we say it's a cat. It wasn't the first time I've kept an eye on him. My last night, there he was at the cemetery. You actually heard him talking to the dead? God knows what you're capable of seeing when you've had a few. But I tell you, I did. opens with a man being stalked by a cat before he drives off. While in transit, a cat hypnotizes him, causing an auto accident, killing him instantly. The cat returns to its home, the home of recluse Professor Miles. Miles is a psychic medium communicating with the dead and can form telepathic links with people through objects. When a young couple goes missing, a grief-stricken mother seeks his help. He's able to narrow down their location with the help of one of the girl's rings. Yet, the police are too late to rescue them. The only evidence of foul play would be the presence of cat paw prints in the busted air conditioner. The black cat takes a lot of creative liberties from the Edgar Allan Poe short story. The signature scene from that story does play out in a very similar fashion. Biagio Prioletti 
co-wrote the film with Fulci. Prio Eddie previously worked on a TV miniseries related to Poe's works, so having him involved was a no-brainer. The English setting makes for a nice change of pace from the streets of Italy. The British countryside immediately made me think of Living Dead at Manchester Morgue. This makes the film come off as a clunky take on Hammer Horror. Sergio Silvati provided the standout cinematography, highlighted by the cat POV shots. Those shots also add some inexplicable magic to the cat, seen as it can teleport through keyholes and maneuver very tight spaces and exhibit super feline strength. Silvati's camera eye gets the support of Italy's favorite editor, Vincenzo Tomasi. Some gore is to be spoken of, a lot of blood from cat scratches, one impalement, rotting corpses with maggots and rats, one woman is burned to death, uh, some pretty decent stuff here. Pino Donaggio provides a quirky music score which often utilizes feline-inspired sound cues. Some tracks use synth of the period while others use full orchestra. The main theme stands out as one of the best in a Fulci film. Fulci's love for close-ups of eyes, who better than that of British character actor Patrick McGee? McGee, as Professor Miles, gives the film a cheeky camp with his wild stares. McGee was a fixture of genre films in the 1970s, notably Amicus's Tales from the Crypt and Stanley Kubrick's adaptation of A Clockwork Orange. Mimsy Farmer played Jill, a photographer who becomes involved when the police need her as a crime scene photographer. She's actually one of the stronger characters in the film. Uh, We previously saw Farmer in the Giallo Autopsy. David Warbeck took on the role of Inspector Gourley, the charmer detective investigating the local crimes, and a charmer he is. Warbeck would reunite with Fulci for the beyond. Al Cliver, Dagmar Lissander, Daniela Dorio round out the supporting cast. Fulci cameos as a doctor. The Black Cat could be passed off as a British horror film, but the eccentricities of Fulci can't be ignored. Light on the gore, but backed up with some solid music by Pino Dinaggio, an amusing lead turn by McGee and Salvati's on-point cinematography. This is the definition of light entertainment. And another spin of the wheel... Purpose. Survival. Stubby Preston, professional card sharp. Clem, 
a drunk. Bunny, a cheap prostitute. And Butt, the crazy. Toward the west, spurred on by the promise of freedom, their trail crosses with that of another outcast, Chaco, a professional killer. You see how Chaco shoots? between the will to survive and revenge. This is the second time, I swear it. Someday I'm gonna kill you! Clem, his fool's paradise became a hell. Bunny, she discovered love for the first time, but fate was to cheat her of her happiness. the apocalypse centers on a small band of wayward souls stubby a card shark bunny a pregnant prostitute clem a drunk and bud a man who claims to communicate with the dead all four end up in jail in the city of salt flat utah this ends up being for their own protection as the town folk engage in vigilante justice killing all the gamblers drinkers and johns in the town the next morning the sheriff sends the four of them on their way out of town Things seem to go fine. The group of friends, a small caravan of missionaries looking for their brethren. Then the man named Chaco encounters the group. Things go from bad to worse. 
a posse comes for Chaco. After killing the others in the posse, Chaco tortures the sheriff, skinning him and plunging the, ch- uh, the sheriff's own badge into the chest. While camping, Chaco drugs the group. He rapes Bunny, then beats up Stubby. Chaco wounds Clem before leaving. Clem unties the others, and they leave as quickly as possible. The quartet have to avoid meeting up back up with Chaco, but also survive the harsh elements of the desert. Four of the Apocalypse was made prior to Silver Saddle, but comes close to incorporating the violence that would be a hallmark of Fulci's horror films. We get some major squib work that rivals Contraband, Fulci's lone venture into Eurocrime. We also see the bloody, cruel aftermath of Chaco running into the missionaries. The film also illustrates Fulci's unsubtle contempt for Catholicism. Save for the positive representation of the missionaries, Fulci goes out of his way to offer perverse interpretations of the Eucharist. Chaco offers peyote and whiskey in a similar manner to a priest offering the bread and wine. Clem, after being shown as a Judas betraying his other associates, dies from his wound and exposure, only to have a part of his body, an ass cheek, chopped off by Bud and cooked. Which makes you think in a George Carlin fashion, sure, the bread is the body of Christ, but what part of the body are you eating? Self-reflection and redemption is a common theme in the film. Stubby's time with the missionaries brings him pause as he finds himself in a spousal position to be Bunny's husband and father her baby. The town full of outlaws who offer their stolen goods in a magi-like manner so the baby can be taken care of. These moments hint at the sentimentality by Fulci that would be on full display with Silver Saddle. Sergio Salvati manages the cinematography. The trio of Bixio, Frisbee, and Tempera provide a rich soundtrack with songs like Stubby, You're Down and Out, and even the menacing Chaco theme. The film was heavily inspired by the works of 19th century writer Bret Hart, specifically The Luck of the Roaring Camp. Fabio Testi puts his charms and chiseled looks as Stubby, the professional gambler. He has real range in this film, from contemplative to enraged. We previously touched on his collaborations with Enzo G. Castellari, and he was in the visceral giallo What Have You Done to Solange? An amusing backstory. Testy was dating Ursula Andres at the time, honey writer from Dr. No, and she would be on set to make sure nothing was going on between Testy and his co-star, Lynn Frederick. Speaking of Lynn Frederick, uh, she is the angelic bunny who falls in love with Stubby. She is entrancingly beautiful. Uh, Her other noted credit would be the Hammer Classic Vampire Circus. She was a figure of controversy for her relationship with Peter Sellers. When Sellers passed on and had his entire estate go to Lynn, she would be shortly blacklisted in Hollywood and had no allies to speak in her defense, save for Fabio Testi. 
It's hard to ignore the impish grin of actor Michael J. Pollard as Clem. He hams it up as the drunkard. Co-star Tomas Millian complimented Pollard's dedication to his character. Uh, Pollard had his uh, share of classics, Bonnie and Clyde, Roxanne with Steve Martin, Scrooge with Bill Murray, Next of Kin with Patrick Swayze, the Sylvester Stallone, Kurt Russell buddy film Tango and Cash, and Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses. Harry Baird plays the unusual bud who claims he can talk with the dead. Baird really goes over the top, engaging in near soliloquies in the graveyard. For the Apocalypse was his final film role, he may be best remembered as Big William from the original Italian job. Tomas Milian steals the film as the murderous Chaco. In an interview with the film, he noted Charles Manson as an influence on the character and its shows. Milian would be a staple bad guy in Italian cinema. He would also enjoy some mainstream exposure with films like JFK for Oliver Stone and Traffic for Steven Soderbergh. For the Apocalypse is a standout spaghetti western by Fulci, rich in symbolism and anti-Catholic animosity. The five main leads pull their weight with Tomas Milian stealing the show. Fulci does exhibit some sentimentality. For all the people who talk about the Leone westerns as the cream of the crop, For the Apocalypse deserves a spot in the conversation. All right, let's go ahead and roll the last film for this episode. Terror. Biting. Clawing. Gnawing its way into your brain. She was standing there in front of me. In her fur coat. So, she takes it off. Not a bloody stitch on. Hate, as personal as your own pulse. I didn't kill her. Lizard in a Woman's Skin is a giallo centered on a woman, Carol Hammond, who may or may not have killed someone in real life while she killed them in a dream. This was after engaging in the consumption of LSD and partaking in orgies. Things become complicated given she's the daughter of a highly respected politician. You have an investigation led by Inspector Corvin that has him traveling through the seedy underbelly of swinging 60s London. This was a contradiction view uh, to such films as The Italian Job, Alfie, and Blow Up that were more favorable of their presentation of the same time period. It did manage to show the whole drug and sex-fueled culture in a negative light. Originally entitled Woman's Skin, it had the lizard part added to capitalize on the popularity of Dario Argento's famed Animal Trilogy. The trio of films included Bird with Crystal Plumage, Cat of Nine Tails, and Four Flies on Grey Velvet. Lizard featured a trippy, unconventional score by legendary Ennio Morricone and showcased the unmistakable vocals of Etta Del Orso. This score is a nice, jazzy contrast to his grander scores for westerns. (laughs) 
like most of other Giallo films, be it by Argento or Bava or Lenzi, there were a number of twists and turns. It's easy to get lost in these films, which may seem like a cheap attempt at getting people to watch the film repeatedly, on the notion that there was something missing in the previous viewings. At times, this works for a film like Deep Red, but not so much here with Lizard. The pacing can be uneven, often feeling like the movie was dragging. But with Fulci, it's not so much about the plot, but the themes and imagery that are integrated into the plot. The movie has gone on to be a cult classic and a favorite among Fulci's fan base. Shriek Show, a division of Media Blasters, distributed a DVD of the film featuring two featurettes. One on the censorship history of the film, and the other on the details of the making of the film. Both show to be informative as well as insightful of the often temperamental director and of the film's controversy. There is a scene late in the film in which Carol is running through a hospital. She comes across a room where dogs are split open with their hearts beating, veins pulsating, and disemboweled. These quote-unquote realistic dog puppets were the work of effects artist Carlo Rambaldi. Rambaldi would later break further effects ground in Ridley Scott's Alien and Steven Spielberg's E.T. The Extraterrestrial. The effects of the split dogs seem so real that animal cruelty charges were set against the film. During the trial, Rambaldi actually had to present his effects work to the jury to show that no real animals were harmed in the film. This marked the first time a special effects artist had to testify that their work was fake, which predated the court hearings of Cannibal Holocaust by nine years. The case was thrown out. Later on, Rimboldi would state that the judge didn't believe the puppets presented in the court were used in the film and real dogs were used. The judge thought the puppets were made for the trial. Uh, today, the effect has aged so poorly the dogs resemble Muppets. Brazilian Florinda Balkin played Carol Hammond and does her best with the ethereal material by Fulci. Uh, she would continue to act before retiring in the 2000s. British character actor Stanley Baker gives the film a great deal of credibility as Inspector Corvin. Baker looks to be enjoying himself with the role. Baker appeared in classics like The Guns of Navarone with Gregory Peck and Zulu with Michael Caine. Lizard in a Woman's Skin stands out because it's one of the few times Fulci dabbled in the giallo genre. It was a historical film in the realm of makeup effects. There's a unique Morricone score to boot. You could definitely see how Fulci would later on transition to horror like City of the Living Dead and the Beyond after seeing this film. It's not about the plot, it's about the visuals. And that finishes this portion of the Wheel of Fulci. Let me know your thoughts in the comments or on social media. The final segment of the Wheel of Fulci will drop on Friday, July 30th. And now for a special segment, the foreign horror movie draft featuring special guests Sean Oliver, along with John Cleveland and myself. Enjoy. Yeah. Right, I'll go ahead and I'll get uh, started with the intro. Hey folks, Mackenzie Lambert here, host for Mac in the Movies, joined by two very special guests. Uh, one, my frequent collaborator, uh, collaborator John Hi, everybody. Cleveland. And here we have a very special guest. If you're as big a fan of kayfabe commentaries as I am, you know who this gentleman is. And he is also very knowledgeable about the horror genre, Mr. Sean Oliver. Now, uh, how's the crossover with wrestling and horror in your uh, in your show here? Do you get a lot of the undateables? I call them the undateables when you've got the, <laughs> the triad, the undateable triad. You've heard this. Uh, hopefully I coined this. 
and it's made it to popular culture. You know, serial killers, when they went out and they interviewed them to put together the profiling program, they found three very common traits in all of them, which was in their childhood, which was fire starting, mm-hmm. bedwetting, and cruelty to animals. Okay. Uh, many of them had what they called the homicidal triad. All right. So I talk about this in one of my books. Um, the, the, I, I think that we can safely say what, what was the undateable triad in my generation anyway. You guys look, you, well, you look younger. You look like a, a logo. <laughs> um, <but laughs> was the undateable triad of pro wrestling, kiss, <laughs> and horror. <laughs> I would say uh, born with those it was like repellent to vagina it was like you gave <laughs> no young lady was walking and and if one did you do you, you did not want them there you really should run uh for me it wasn't kiss it was uh Nintendo that 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 was the that was the one that repelled. Yeah, I would, and I would say I would insert like just gaming in general, like D and D and stuff would be instead of Kiss. But yes, I I, oh, heard, I get that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you see, but the gaming thing, you, you can get a, a cute geeky girl right back to who who was kind of into gaming. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but it's the it's the it's the soup. It's all those three together should make women dive out the window uh, <laughs> upon entering your room. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it'll make some men oh, dive out the window as well. Yeah. That's true. I mean, in, yeah, in, this, no. in this day and age, we should not be very gender specific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. But no, uh, surprisingly, after being on Twitter for a, a couple of years, there's plenty of hot horror chicks oh, yeah, out no. there. So, yeah, oh, no. Horror, horror is a genre that attracts the denizens of all types and yes women love horror it's just uh, i would say not all women of course but I, I i would say that the horror community of all the communities out there probably has the best cross-section of both men and women of of any really <clears throat> that's just my experience at least it's the yeah I, I, yeah i think it's when you add you know it's it's listen when somebody, when a young lady, and I don't want to be, this, I'm sure there's there's the undateable triad uh, reverse. Women probably have, if the dude walks in into, the, probably these three things actually. <laughs> but uh, it's it's you know that being well versed in um, pieces, let's say they they can talk about um, the plot of pieces as eloquently <laughs> as the Bill Goldberg run. <laughs> And why it took them Kiss uh, to release Kiss Alive One, a, a double album, a double live album, before they sold any actual copies. That's putting that all together is a species that's yet undiscovered. I think. <laughs> I mean, it's there's the world's a big, a big place, and it, you know that 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 specific unicorn of a of a woman is out there somewhere, but. Yeah. I'm thinking that somebody might have, you know, wrangled that unicorn already. Some yeah. diehard pro wrestling kiss fan who really if you loves guys the do late- documentary. Maybe we can we can fire up the cameras, hit the road, and <laughs> and find that Sasquatch. Yeah, we'll get a yeah, we'll get a Winnebago tour the country. <laughs> it's not a Winnebago. That would be a loser bago. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We'll get a loser bago. I love it. Yeah. 
Uh, it's going to be Legend of Boggy Creek oh, 3. Four. There's a three already. <laughs> oh, God, there is yes. a three already. Okay. So I got to ask you guys what I always talk to, uh, like, Jackie Jones when I'm on the In Your Head or, or even his wrestling one. I just make it about horror that mm-hmm. episode, too. It's far more interesting to talk about. <laughs> um, where do you guys stand on what happened with the whole Halloween franchise when they just, they kind of went, well... Forget everything that happened. I mean, like the, that's like the cardinal sin yeah. of Rakanin, uh of oh. any like people invested years and and you know multiple incarnations of, of Michael Myers, and then yeah. this bizarre reset. Like the remake was one thing. Like the the the, uh, the Halloween that because yeah, it was branded thing, a remake. It, it's like making it a bold. Yeah. Res- yeah. Well, Matt, right. how about you? But you start. Just kind of, Wipe everything out. Yeah. Uh, where do you guys stand on this? Uh, Halloween just got ridiculous when it got to like H2O and the, even the curse of Michael Myers, which was Halloween 6. But I, I didn't think 4 and 5 were that bad. I actually quite enjoyed them. I thought Daniel Harris actually knocked it out of the park in those two films. But <laughs> Because they, yeah, stayed, I think, they stayed linear, though, right? I mean, yeah. that's the mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. 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 For, for me, it's... Um, of all the different franchises out there, um, if we're only narrowing it to, because each one takes its own weird path. Halloween, all right, so it inherently stumbles when it hits three because it 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 wanted to be the everyone's different and then it became a massive hit, so they had to make the sequel, which becomes a franchise at that point. Three comes along and just rocks the boat too much. So when four comes along, they have to reestablish. Now, at that point, basically, you're rifling the series. At that point, you're picking what you're doing and you're moving forward. And let's be honest, like you should be just moving in a straight line. A lot of repetition. How many times can Jason kill some campers in the woods? That's all we want to see, right? So four, we do the thorn thing. We do his lineage. We talk about that. That's cool. It's not my favorite thing in the world, but that's the decision they made. We're running with it. Five comes along and doubles down. Okay, so this is just how this, this series is. I don't like it. Paul Rudd kills Michael Myers, which is an odd choice, but okay. Six, six, I'm sorry. But still, there's that. So four, five, and six, the Thorn trilogy is like, okay, so this is the direction we're going. And the problem I actually have with the series, I think it really stumbles, ignoring that three, you know, maybe they shouldn't just have done it at that point, but seven comes around and changes it again. And that's the that's where it really just we no longer have a train on rails anymore for me. It's whoever is directing is choosing a new idea. It's a choose your own adventure book at that point. So that's my opinion of it. Of all of the series, it's the one that's the most, I don't want to say scattershot, but it's definitely the one that seems to be picking a new theme and running with it for a movie sometimes too, and then just abandoning it. Yeah, I agree. I like, like Friday the 13th as ridiculous as they got, um, it was still the same thoroughfare. Yeah. It, yeah. it never became like you know y- your world is not what you've accepted it to be. Yeah. Here's the where Jason is in the world now. So, like, okay, so let's let's prove myself completely unfuckable and uh, kiss. <laughs> kiss okay. starts with the makeup. Okay. Yep. Okay, you know we four characters. They're wearing the makeup. We have some integer. You know, we lose a, we lose a character. Here, we lose yeah. a character. Here, we replace a character. But we you know we're still yeah. a kiss. We're still one's a, a cat. Music. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, then it became a fox. You know, yeah, for a few a fox, seconds, yeah. and then 
but uh, and so but then the makeup comes off. Mm-hmm. Okay, different different iteration. We're wearing sure. the large, you know, grandma's clothing and the bouffant <laughs> hair, and we're <laughs> trying to look like everything else on MTV in '83. But they're playing the same music. They're still playing rock and roll all night and Tooth sure. and Strutter and everything. Yeah. Um, then uh, the decision made to put the makeup back on. Yeah. Um, but they're still playing. Uh, music that was released during the non-makeup era. Yeah. So the look changes, but there's a consistency okay. in what you're hearing every time you go see them. It may look a little different. Yeah, they, they're still playing the hits. Right. Yeah. Right. I think to upend everything and and to to like maybe if they denied where they'd come from and played nothing in the makeup era when they took the makeup off. That's what I feel like Halloween has done all of a sudden. Um they need to play rock and roll all night. God damn it! In a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel that, that like that's one of the biggest problems I have with like the Rob Zombie, like the reboot. It's a reboot, so you know it's supposed to be a fresh start. But my thing is, when you reboot a series, unless you have an, a really really good idea that maybe somehow wasn't covered in the original, and taking it in a new dynamic direction i think you really shouldn't just reboot just like my big problem with it is it's a halloween movie if if rob zombie had just made hey i like with texas or a house of a thousand corpses right it's a kind of a remake or reboot if you will of texas chainsaw massacre but it's not texas even though it has a lot of similarities he made it his own thing so it gets a lot of the criticism i would have about it it just fine because it's its own movie whereas Halloween because it's Halloween. Okay, well then I hate that what you did with Mike Myers. Don't explain him. He's don't. The more you explain him, the worse he gets. And like I, I've seen a review of uh, the second one specifically, which is either egregious to you or eh. I've never met anyone who loves it, but um, I find that the biggest problem with the second one specifically is that it is a Michael Myers movie. If it was just a different killer, it actually has a lot of really good things going for it. But because you branded it Michael Myers, it comes with the mythos of Michael. It comes yeah. with, like you, you were saying, it comes with that intent and that, that story that's being told. Now, even if it was jagged, it's still a story. But that kind of just, that hits it with a baseball bat across the head. It just puts it down. It changes it too much. It's a hard left turn. And that's why I really don't like what, like the Rob Zombie version of Halloween because he changes it too much. He should have just made his own movie about a mass killer. Mac, I hate to do this to take over the show, but I tend to do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, oh, no, like, cool. the thing about Halloween, the first, the Halloween, 1978, yeah. that was unique. I, it, I, It's very difficult to put into words, and it's the hardest thing to do as a filmmaker. Kubrick always did it very well. There is a, an ambiance. There's a scent mm-hmm. to a film. Mm-hmm. A movie just feels like something, and it's and it's an intangible. It's all these subtle elements that come together and uh, and make it have an atmosphere. No subsequent Halloween has ever been able to do what made Halloween one into. Look at the story of Halloween; it's basic. Yeah. My eight year old, yeah. if I said, tell me a scary story, she could tell me that story. Yeah. There's nothing about it that's interesting. Um, Carpenter got very lucky with all those other elements that came together and created a f- flavor that freaked me. I still think it's one of the scariest films. 
Yeah. There, there are a handful yeah. of, of boo moments, you know, the one behind the bush, you know, the shoulder behind the bush, the uh, coming out of the closet, picking, stabbing, you know, th- there's a few of those boo moments, but that's not what makes it scary. What makes it scary is how you feel. You're, you're saturated in sweat as you sit there and watch the whole thing. It's the simplicity of just those minor keys on the piano mm-hmm. um, that he scored himself. Um, yep. It's uh, it's the 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 the, the low quality uh, thirty five millimeter film footage, which d- you didn't take to the dark very well. So the pockets of shadow are so intensely dark. It was the camera placement for many of the shots. You know, not going oh, in. Oh yeah, and the the, the opening <laughs> sequence uh, with uh, the the Steadicam, where it's just Michael's POV, and you've got Dean Cundy's amazing photography, and yeah. it's just that is one of the best introductions to a killer or a monster I've ever seen in a film, is that opening sequence with young Michael yeah. Myers. Yeah. All those things came together and made it so special. It's never been able to be duplicated in any of the subsequent ones, so now what you're left with in making those subsequent ones is a very, very basic horror story, which doesn't really have too many places to go. Once you establish, we can't kill this thing. Well, that's yeah. it. That's the story. Yeah. yeah. Well, because, I mean, like, I think that the reason it succeeded is Carpenter and a very simple story. I'm going to tell a simple story about an unkillable killer, a man who can't be stopped. That's interesting. None of the sequels decided that let's make it a simple, interesting story about a man who can't be stopped. No, 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 no. Let's explain why he can't be stopped. Let's go into this. Let's go into that. That's not the simple story we were being told. And that's where I think it loses its focus. Also, losing John Carpenter as a director is always a negative for you. So... Yeah, and, and I mean even the even the you can talk about the cast. You can talk about Donald Pleasance and, oh, yeah. and the 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 very simple cardboard character of you know the doctor that wants to get that old thing. He's the only one that knows him. Yep, he's the only one that knows him. Sheriff, you don't know him like I know him. Like th- this is nineteen fifties, you know, uh, stuff. Yeah. But it was it was Donald's delivery and those over the top those one lines. He got hungry. It's it's, it's unbelievably uh, saccharine. It, it's wonderful. It's just wonderful. It's such a great. And that dialogue, you can see it was written for like a Christopher Lee or a Peter yeah. Cushing, but Donald Pleasance adds that little that little bit of uh, self awareness yeah. to it that I think he makes it work. Yeah, just on the cusp of of uh, erudite. Um, and then clearly insane. It's it's yeah. wonderful. Well done. And uh, just I ask you that because I talked to all horror film buffs because I could not get my head around what just happened two years ago with Halloween. I was like, yeah. wait, what? what? Yeah. We're just calling it Halloween again? I like um, it, it's kind of a joke amongst a couple of my horror friends that we don't call Rob Zombie's Halloween Halloween. We call it October 31st. Oh, that's funny. I, I'm going to steal that. I like that. <laughs> because it just somehow soothes the pain a little. <laughs> but hey, you know what the best part about all these Halloween uh, sequels is? John Carpenter keeps getting royalty checks. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, hey, you know, that's a thing. So. When did he begin to look like uh, a creature himself? It, it was... <laughs> Uh, I want to say at least I think that was at least he actually looked like yeah. that for a long time. How in the world like, that man? The late yeah. How in the ma- world that man pulled on Adrian Barbeau back in the day? I will never know. 
<laughs> yeah, he looks like the Crypt Keeper's older brother. I was like, just going to say he's the love child of the Crypt Keeper and Frank Silva, what played the uh, Bob the Killer in Twin Peaks. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean he's he's even in like he and he he cops to it too. I mean he's the arguably ghoulish mortician in the horror uh, anthology body bags. Body like bags. he, he cops to, he knows what he looks like. Yeah. <laughs> and there was that one time where rotten tomatoes falsely assumed that yes, he was dead. His response was perfect. <laughs> Despite what I look like, I'm actually alive. <laughs> you know what? It's that self-confidence. Oh, yeah. You let, your bag, you let your bag someone like Adrian Barbeau back. That's true. That, that's you know? a good point. Right there it is. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, and I mean, you, you I was going to say. Consider, you may want to consider admitting to the fact that you look like maybe an ex-child star from the 80s. <laughs> yes. Who had a bad run of coke like it's just a real bad run of about a decade worth of it <laughs> i don't see anybody clawing for danny by no, at this point no that's so. a good point that's a good uh, i'm sure vh1 is still putting him on a tv show or something if they do that anymore i don't know but uh, he's alive still right I, I might lose a dead or alive if we play danny bonaducci he's seen i i think he is yeah i thinking. yeah he's still, my money yeah. would be on the he's alive yeah mm-hmm. i Honestly, can say this is the first time in a very long time I've thought about Danny Bonaduce, but I'm pretty sure he's alive. How the world reminds me of a scene in House by the Cemetery. There it is. There's the transition. Oh Jump yes. On. Oh, there you are. Yes. Jump on it, Mac. But a boom. <laughs> what scene? Wait, wait. What scene um, does he remind you of? Please don't tell me the end. <laughs> the guy with magic. It, it wasn't all that well thought out. I'm not. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> The poorly dubbed little kid. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, at least it's House by the Cemetery and not House by the Edge of the Park. That's a different that's a different uh, mentality. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys yeah, know? Director of Cannibal Holocaust yes. doing a less on less house on the left movie. That's that's gonna be fun for the no. Did you guys know when you were watching these films? This is something I thought about talking about in preparation for this. I didn't know until later. All right, let's, let's take films like House by the Cemetery. Was that 80, 83, 84 maybe? Uh, yeah, three, yeah. three. Yep. So, um, the, the Fulci films, like let's take like the Italian ones. Like I think yeah. those were the first I saw that I knew of. Like you were mentioning some Canadian ones yeah. today before we went on the air, and and yeah. I didn't even know. So those are the ones that I became aware of. Now I'm 12. Okay, so I'm going to the movies. Uh, I'm seeing Halloween. I'm seeing the Friday the Thirteenth stuff, and then this gets put in. I see the dub obviously when I'm in. Mm-hmm. the theater but more than that stylistically now i'm only a kid but i'm aware that something different is happening that it's not just they hired foreign actors that there was an entire entirely different uh um uh, uh, uh process and uh, an entirely different uh, um techniques that were being empl- employed here mm-hmm. yeah were you guys aware when you were watching a like if I lowered the volume, mm-hmm. could you guys have told when you were first watching these that you were watching a foreign horror film? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, the, because yeah, House by the Cemetery. That's that's Lucio Fulci, his uh, his way of Stephen yeah. King because it takes place in that typical northeastern town, uh, very isolated. So I would have guessed that this was an American. See, film. I think I would have. 
and I don't know if this is ego talking, but I think I would have caught on if you muted it that something was different because A, it's more gory than most of the American films I'd seen at the time. And it's just trying to think of it as like from a narrative perspective, things aren't explained. Things aren't like with American films, we're bar by and large and it depends on the director of course but we're very cause and effect this happens then we see why it happened or we sometimes we see why something happens and then it happens but like that film and Fulci's and a lot of the Italian films I like to say is un, it's just unexplained horror why did she just why did her face melt it's a it's a horror movie no 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 but like the demons never like is it a demon is it a ghost why did her face melt and then there's a scene of a cemetery and a zombie but there's no zombies like what's happening i don't know what's going on you i've learned that with italian it's more like there is an unspeakable evil it is tangent uh it's un unattainable it's undescribable and just bad stuff happens because of it whereas in american if films it it's, yeah yeah it's it's maybe it's not even that easy to explain but like with right. with American films, there is a killer, there is an entity, and you can defeat it. We come from a very we will overcome mentality. I don't know if the war did it to Italy. I don't know what. But when it, Japan has this too, and again, this is why I think it's maybe because of the war. If you're cursed, if you have, if you encounter an entity, you're going to suffer forever because of that. Like you, the mistake has been made and it cannot be undone you maybe can get away, but it's just getting transferred to somebody else. So I think it's maybe has something to do with the cultural memory of, again, I go to world war two or, or just the fact that these cultures both have way longer in their past than we do, where you can't just wipe your hands of something and move on. It's going to be a problem perpetually. It's, and that was also too in an interview, uh, screenwriter Dodando Sacchetti, who was a regular Fulci collaborator, said that a lot of his influence was Italian Catholicism because they believe that you never completely vanquish the evil. It's always going to be continuing to mm. test uh, the people and always continue to try to torment those in like, the mm. moral plane. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah uh, I think that I think you you're right, John. I think that it's a cultural thing. Uh, I don't know. I haven't given much thought to whether it was rooted in the religion or I always just thought in the art yeah. of Europe and and that we can glean so much from a painting, from a uh, from a sculpture, and they've been thousands of years worth of uh, of um, of instilling that that ability to walk in and kind of let the art wash over you mm-hmm. and, and be moved to tears or anger or whatever without have to, having to have, have an intellectual discussion um, about the accuracy of like, why does Adam have a belly button? Yeah. Um, They're more moved by the pain. Have navel, uh, you know, like, yeah. you know, art. <laughs> so we don't have to have that discussion. We could just do this. So that's a cultural, uh, a, a culturally established process of just accepting things as they are. What other country could you have a, a prime minister 
So like Chicholina, the, the, the porn oh, star who yes. I saw on an interview actually said this was on, I think HBO as part of like their real sex series back in sure. the day did, did an interview with her. And she said something like, eh, people there, there's problems. Eh, I show breast eh, and the people happy. So I show breast. Eh, and that, that was, that well, was the I mean, logic. I mean, I'll vote selected. for her. Yeah. Yeah. She got right. I mean, you, Bud Spencer also ran for her office in Italy too. So it's just I don't know what's going on, what's happening. They're passionate but, people, and now it's it's <laughs> oh yeah, it's seeping out over here now too. Now you got people who think the Rock is going to run for president in twenty twenty four. So so well, you know, did the blood sh- always? Look, this is a stupid question. Did the blood always look different in? Oh yeah, the Italian work films too well, than in the American, and why is that? Because I don't know if this is, again, a thing, but like I feel like Blood in American Films was done to be, and I hate to say it this way, more realistic. But again, it was an emotional thing. I don't know if it was because of getting around a rating system or something, but it's the joke is the, the Jalo films, I think, are the, the reason. But like blood is red tempera paint in that country. It's the same in Hammer. Like I love Hammer yeah. horror. I'll love it to death. But like... When I watch a Hammer horror film, I, I like everything's going good. It's good atmosphere. Everything's fine. Somebody gets bit by a vampire or slashed by a, a, a something. And then suddenly red tempera paint comes out everywhere. And I'm like. Yeah. And a tinge of orange in it yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. It's like, that's not realistic. Really brightly lit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And especially in American films, because I know Tom Savini, when he looks back at George Romero's Martin, he hates the blood because it's this 3M orange, orangish blood. And this is before Dick Smith perfected the formula for. Now, do you think that might have something to do with, again, the the history is they have a more succinct history with black and white films where in a black and white film that would have worked like uh, the famous uh, in Psycho. That was chocolate uh, syrup like for mixing with milk that in the shower scene, there's no blood in that at all. That's chocolate syrup. Right. Yeah. Same with night of the living dead. They use chocolate syrup. Yeah. As and well. do you think that it's maybe so. that they just stuck with that longer than the, the United States where the U S as soon as we adopted color, cause we were one of the first to adopt it. We went like, okay, this doesn't work. We want more vivid. We want it to look real and visceral. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't, when I was a kid, just proving myself unfuckable at all ages, <laughs> I, um, video cameras were very expensive. Nobody really had, I, I guess, a few, not in the area. I grew up in a city, so nobody sure. had video. So, but you could rent them from um, Palmer Video, was one of the local video stores. It was like 75 bucks for like three days. And I begged my mother <laughs> to get it because I wanted to start making little films. And I also, uh, uh, in our school, the AV teacher was friends with. Uh, uh, friend of mine's dad and he lent us one for the whole summer so we went crazy but i wanted to film i'd love to film fright night and this was before there was a sequel so i wanted to make a sequel so i wrote a sequel and i got you know friends the skin poppers off the street anybody anybody who would agree (laughs) to do a few minutes in in this thing and uh so there came the decision of what do we use for blood um, and I remember from reading, I had my Fango subscription and, and I remember Cairo syrup like coming up and like all this. And I tried to make Cairo blood. Now, don't act like you guys don't do this on your spare time either. <laughs> <laughs> With the um, food dye into the Cairo syrup. Um, and I could, I could never get a realistic 
color. Now, of course, I was forgetting one thing, which you guys probably can tell me already. I'm pouring this red, and no matter how much red I poured into the corn syrup, it would distill and turn this pinkish, disgusting, hazy thing, which was not... But So then we rolled with it, and I was like, well, you know what? They're fucking vampires. That's how they bleed. Yeah. They bleed. Yeah. They bleed this ooze of translucent slime. Nobody told me to put the blue in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You would have you would have gotten around the uh, the ratings board then. You would have been fine. Because they wouldn't look like blood. They don't look like blood at all. Exactly. Yeah. That's why in uh, Dust Till Dawn the the vampires bleed green because he submitted it and they're just like, oh yeah, you're gonna get an X rating for this movie or an NC seventeen. There's way too much blood. Okay, the vampires will bleed green. Half the blood's gone. All right, I guess make, it works. Make it jello. Just make <laughs> yeah. it jello. There's always room for jello. Uh, before we move too too much on, I had this point that like I I this is going to be the best thing I say like today. I think this is a succinct. I think the difference in the U.S. blood versus the European or even Japanese in the films they they had at the time that were horror is because, and I'm just going to postulate this, and I feel like if I did some research, I could find somebody who backs me up on this. We wanted realistic blood because horrors, specifically the horrors of World War II, were still theater to us because we didn't suffer it. Our boys did when they went overseas, right? But they weren't. we weren't marketing per se to them. We were marketing to a, a theater full of people who were viewing the, the horrors of war on the TV, which were realistic, so we wanted realistic horror. Where in Europe, they had just lived through it. If they put that shit in the in the theaters, people would be like, okay, I, I, you know, my cousin died from this. I have no home. I don't want to see this in my free time. I'm leaving. So they tried yeah. to abstract it a bit by having even the blood is, okay, that's fake blood. That's not realistic. And maybe, I don't know, but I'm thinking that there's something there. That could easily be true. Yeah, I'll buy it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take it. So, but, all right. So where, what country do we want to start right. with? <laughs> now that we're, we're going to get on track. I'm not looking okay. for countries. Let's just go ahead and just go for titles. Yeah, we'll just, uh, yeah. So, and for the first round, uh, Sean, you okay. can go first since you're the special guest. Okay, we're going to do a pre-round because I, I, I have a proposal here. Okay, sure. We have, for all those who um, who are still listening to you know thirty minutes into this and have found all you diehard pro wrestling kiss fans, <laughs> yeah, those of that are still listening and didn't go out and, and get the new kids album. We were having a discussion about how, just the size of the lot that we have to choose from here and how we may not be aware. Like yeah. we know all the, the like we talked about the the, the ring and the, like the, the Japanese ones. Like we're going to know yeah. all that stuff, but there's stuff that we may not know was a Canadian film. So here's what I'd like to do first, because you guys are the experts. I want to throw some titles out. Okay, and I would like a uh, uh, an, an American. Uh, a, th- a thumbs up or a thumbs down on whether this is, would be in the game, foreign or American, for some of these more obscure horror films that I enjoyed, but okay. I, I was a kid. I, I didn't, you know, there was no IMDb. It was, All right. There was no television practice. So is this a rating like we think it's a good movie or we enjoy the movie? Because those are No, no, no. Uh, uh, foreign oh, foreign or American. It, oh, okay. It's, game, it's out of the game. Okay, I get you. Okay, so I'd, I'd like to start with... Um, some some of the VHS classics that that were, okay. that were I'm um, right there with you All right. that were rentals pieces oh yeah 100 percent 
uh, Canadian? Uh, that was actually Spanish. Spanish. Okay. Spanish. Yeah. That's what I yep. thought. Uh, Madman. Uh, isn't that Canadian? Uh, Hold on. I'd have to look that up, but I think that's Mad Men's Canadian. It was in the woods. It could have been yeah. anywhere. It's like a proto, like Friday the 13th. Correct. Um, slasher. I'm pretty, I'm going to have to look that up, but I'm pretty sure it's Canadian. Uh, 1981. Uh, that is. Nope, it's American. Yeah. American. American. Okay, so that's out. Uh, yeah. Uh, Maniac was American, obviously, right? That Maniac was American. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. Made uh, by Italians, but American. Right. <laughs> it, 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 Sunday gravy uh, served on set. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, that that set day. did not work on uh, Sundays and it had great shoes. <laughs> Um, of course, basket case was a classic. American. Oh, class. that's I try to get yeah. case in every discussion. It's not going to work today. I guess. <laughs> we could talk about how Belial looks slightly like Sophia Loren today. Oh, 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 kind of. I, oh, wow! I don't want to look up to see if that's true. I'm afraid now. I'm terrified, actually. All right. Um, now Mother's she was Day. still good and grumpier. Mother's older. Day. 1981. That's American. That's, uh, yeah, that was yeah. early trauma. Oh, oh, okay. That was, there was one scene that was actually shot literally up the block from where I grew up in oh, a, cool. uh, if it's Mother's Day, uh, in, in a baseball stadium, in a baseball stadium, uh, on the, on the pitcher's mound. A uh, guy brings a girl into the stadium. That was Miller Stadium in West New York, New Jersey. Huh. I believe it was Mother's Day. The, All right. Uh, the, the film. That's uh, cool. Oops. Um, Going here, um, demons. Oh, Italian, Italian, yeah. right? Yep. Uh, let's go. Um, all right, I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna pull my first. I'm gonna put my first up. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Suspiria, of course. Now, for no other reason. First of all, it's good to go there because it ties into what John was talking about with um, some of the lack of explanation in the Italian horror films and going like almost 100 percent psychological um, with with the, the plot line. But the commercial, the trailer for Suspiria. Oh, oh when I, with the skeleton. Oh, my God. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm good. happily watching Charlie's Angels, wondering why it feels good to touch myself a certain way when Farrah Fawcett's <laughs> you know, You got the poster. I'm, I'm eight. I'm eight, you know. Um, and then I have to contend with the, the, back, the back of the head, the slowly uh, turning back. That was a very simple... Trailer. I don't even know if there was anything more than the skeleton in that. Was was there? Were there shots? In- it was a few cuts yeah. of the. It was a few cuts of the film, and then it's like uh, the only thing scarier than the last twenty minutes of Suspiria is the first one hundred, yeah. and it's just like that's yeah. brilliant. It's got and then that turns into skeleton. I I would have to leave the room when commercials came on when the bumper for Charlie's Angel would come on with the three girls I'd have to leave the room or put my head under the pillow because I knew there would be a Suspiria commercial was that 1980 70 uh, 70, 70, 70, 70, 70, 70, 70, 70, 70, 70 late 70s 77 78 but I'll still put Suspiria uh, on my uh, first round draft pick oh what and you just got and you got that Gonzo score by Goblin which is still just like one of my favorite music scores no 100% I love that score 
right. Uh, Mac, am, are you going next? All right. Oh, okay. uh, John, you're oh, next. Well, uh, I'm going to choose this. Not that I think anybody else was going to have it this early, but I'm still choosing it. Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> so, uh, question two. Are we sticking with country? Like, now it's just Italian or just still it's foreign in general? Uh, no, no. Just, right. uh, but still, still I'm silence. still going yep. Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. infamous or well, famous for yes. the wrong I'm not, I'm not, this isn't a contention about the quality of the human beings filming the film. Oh, no. It's simply, it's so, it revolutionized um, an idea of, of found footage. It's not the first, but I, you know, I, I would claim that it's the first that did it right. Um, it's still talked about today for, for what it is. It presents itself in that way that you actually, especially back in the day, you had to question, is this real? You know, the, I mean, the man had to go to co- the director had to go to court to prove he didn't kill somebody on set. So, like, yeah, he didn't kill. Yeah. So, actors. like, how much more do you realistic <laughs> do you need? So, no, I have to use Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, I still can't go back to that movie just because when they stabbed that muskrat yeah. and just the oh yeah no I'm not again I'm not talking about the quality of human uh, being that would make yeah. the film yep. the quality of the film is different. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, can't, uh, very good. All right, for my number one, uh, for those who know me, should not be surprised by this. I'm putting Mario Bava's Bay of Blood. <laughs> Knew it. <laughs> I guarantee that was going to be your number one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, it's just an insane battle royal of people who are trying to claim land for a, a land developer that they can make a lot of money off of. And it's just, it's also very influential in just that. You can see Friday the 13th Part 1 took from this. Friday the 13th Part 2 took from this. Ridley Scott's Alien and Sleepaway Camp, all of those films took a little bit of something from this film. And you've got the amazing score by Stelio Cipriani. You've got the camera eye of Mario Mm -hmm. Bava. You know, some people say that the late 70s wasn't his best period. I would say that this is probably some of the best stuff he's ever done. Yeah, no, solid pick, man. Very good. Uh, This is me now. Is... um is Splatter University foreign? Uh, I think that's American. Look at that. Hmm, let's see. Four. It's an American slasher. Uh, it's, okay. American. Yep. American. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll put House by the Cemetery on then. It's a solid pick. Okay. It was, uh, I actually got to see in a theater. There was a theater in Union City, New Jersey, that used to do. It was back in the day when they were, they they were, uh, uh, du- they would do double features. So they'd mm-hmm. pair a, a current film with something that was maybe on DVD, uh, a, C, uh, a VHS already. Yeah. So they do two. Okay. There were three theaters inside. So they would do two houses that did like the Breakfast Club and whatever, yeah. uh, all the right moves and whatever. And then the third theater was always a double trashy horror feature ah, I live there nice. and I saw Splatter University with House by the Cemetery um, nice. on the big screen there so I was wondering if they were doing a theme thing in Union oh, City yeah, yeah. foreign films no they had no idea they were eating near <laughs> Rose Compoyo and just putting up on the screen whatever they wanted. I love it uh, but House by the Cemetery I have to go with I actually just oh, yeah. rewatched it within the last two years for the first time in forever mm-hmm. yeah it's um yeah it's uh, a very fun movie to watch high I'll say that <laughs> Uh, I remember getting the, the 
VHS from uh, it was Video Factory before it was bought up by Blockbuster, and it was a horrible edit because someone was killed in the movie, but then they were alive yeah. later on. It's like they completely <laughs> screwed up the. Edit. Hey man, you, it's just you, you did. It was it was all part of that. You don't know what's going on thing. Are people dead? Are they alive? Do you don't know? That's great. <laughs> All right, mine. All right, number two has to be in like it has to be martyrs. French New Wave horror, man. I I love it. Know that? What is? Oh, I'm gonna. Oh, oh, you gotta watch martyrs, my man. All right, so yeah, martyrs. Um, hold on, I'll spell it for you. It's because it's spelled slightly different than you would assume it should be spelled. Um, M A R T Y R S. Yeah, and this is important get the 2008 version because America did a silly thing. It took a movie. It should have not remade and just remade it for English because it's a French film, obviously, but it, it, it ruined it (laughs) because martyrs is all about the tempo and what it's actually talking about. And they ruined it. I'm normally not upset by a remake that just is remade for an American audience because most people don't like subtitles, but this right. one they ruined. Okay. So, yeah, but check it out. It's intense. Just FYI. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to ruin what it's about, but it's intense. All that pretentious French cinema is just thrown out the window oh, yeah. this one. <clears throat> yeah. So. But yeah. All right. My number two is, uh, Going back to the found footage genre, it's my favorite found footage film, Troll oh, Hunter. Oh, so good. Uh, th- this is from that period, uh, the late noughts, where you had Northern Europe just coming up with some of the greatest horror films, Let the Right One In, Rare Exports, they did Dead Snow. But for me, Troll Hunter is what I think found footage should do, is take something that just sounds completely implausible and yet makes it 100%. Yeah, I, lo- I love that movie, and I, I always... I love like showing it to people who aren't really that big a fans of horror. Cause it's, I mean, it's, it's a horror movie, but it's a comedy kind of, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's got its charming moments and I love showing it to people and everyone I've shown it to is like, dude, I love this movie. I didn't know I'd like a Norwegian film. I'm like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> well, I'm the, you, you blew up my spot. I was going to take, let the right one in uh, for my third uh, pick here. Uh, all right. All right. I'm That's a Sweden with you here. For the next yeah. one. You know, the thing with that, I wanted to do entirely like ones from my childhood, but I, yeah. I got to give some props here because, um, look, remember we talked about atmosphere. We talked about putting a premium yeah. on atmosphere in a horror film. Home run, <laughs> home run for that film. I don't know if it was just because of the actual location is so <laughs> lent itself to it. Um, is it the snow? Is it the isolation? Whatever. But it felt a certain way. And also... Um, the vampire theme um, is in 10 million movies and to find mm-hmm. different treatment for it mm-hmm. is, always, oh, yeah. is you know, always have to put a premium on that. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's it, you, the last two you guys picked were both going to be on my list. I had to take them off. Like it's both great movies. <laughs> yeah. All right. My turn. But I have to go find oh, martyrs now. Is yes, martyrs you do. On Netflix. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh no. no, you're not going to find this on Netflix. You're pr- you're probably going to have to go to like maybe to uh, like a DVD actually, retailer because that's probably the actually best I think shot. it was on Netflix at one point. Wow. It is not lo- any longer. But again, it's all I ask you is if you watch it, make sure you get the 2008 version. 
It's the only thing I ask. Okay. Yeah. All right. My number three, and probably my most widely like released of the ones I think I'm going to pick, is um, yeah, is it the most widely one? Yeah, it is. The Devil's Backbone. Uh, Guillermo it's, del Toro. Oh, and this was on my list. Uh, got, it's beautiful. It's the most. I don't want to say the most. It's one of the most beautifully. What's that? The Devil's Backbone. Spanish. Yep. Yeah, it's Spanish. Yep. Yeah. Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Yep, Spanish. Yep. Yep. He's on. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful horror films I've ever seen. Both in how, what the story it's actually telling, in the visuals, because del Toro. But like that, that like, swimming effect with with the ghost is just amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone's still ever done it better. Um, but yeah, no, I I love that movie. Um, everything about it. That just is a beautiful film. It's a touching story. It's impactful. It's romantic. It's terrifying. It's great. Very good. Very good. Uh, all right. My round three. Uh, one of my, probably one of my favorites of all time. Uh, and some people might not consider it a horror film, but I do. Delicatessen uh, from Jean-Pierre yeah. Jeunet. Yeah. Uh, and I think what makes it a horror film is that this is a film that's about yeah. cannibalism. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll give it to you. I wouldn't know if I, I'd be honest with you, I'd definitely not label it a horror film first, but horror would be a genre. It had a tag, as it were. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Oh, and it takes place in like a nuclear post-apocalypse, yeah. and so you got that nightmare vision to it. So yeah, I, and gosh, and you, you could also probably put down City of Lost Children too, because that's got some serious horror elements, but I'm going with right. the Rock on, rock on. So, you know, I don't know if my, my film school geek thing has to kick in here a little uh, bit. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Like, are we, do we talk about the genre significance of something like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari? Yeah. That's, oh man, German Expressionism. Yeah, yeah that's, you, that is yeah. fair game as well because you've got Nosferatu. Even The Phantom, uh, the Phantom Carriage is another one that people would say. Yeah, I think that... Like, it's not one I'm putting on this afternoon for a scare, but like you've got to, you've got to, I guess, give a spot on your list here for something that opened a door yeah. for the genre as a whole. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, oh. Universal Horror would not exist without the right. German yeah. horror. Silent yeah, horror just films. because it isn't scary now doesn't mean it wasn't scary then. Yeah. Uh-uh. And it's like every Halloween I see someone throwing on Nosferatu in the yeah, background. One hundred percent. Yeah, I'm, I'm look. I was going to say, Nosferatu's on this list somewhere for me. I'll let you know that very clearly. Like, it's going to come up at some point if you guys don't pick it first. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, uh, Sean, your uh, first round pick for number f- uh, round four. Well, that would have been, it would have been, or, Cal- yeah. I'll put Caligari in oh, there. Right. Well, beautiful film. Dr. I have to justify my degree in some way today. <laughs> Who knows if I didn't do it with my commentary on Adrian Barbour or Phil Loren for God's sake. Yeah, I feel like there's a You've not made Italian women happy today. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, Caligari is no, amazing. That off and go piss off my wife in 10 minutes. Uh, <laughs> it's a loving marriage is. <laughs> but no, like, yeah, no, 100% Cal- Captain Caligari is amazing. And like, I would say that if you're not like jaded per se, that you would watch it and you would recognize this is a horror film. This is terrifying because mm-hmm. what's happening is terrifying. Right. Yeah. And then the uh, like kind of the expressionistic sets and whatnot meant to 
very definitely meant to disorient and uh, mm-hmm. just that there, that it wasn't enough to, to put a, uh, a terrifying storyline in. There was the uh, the set design bent to it too, which mm-hmm. yeah, we can go back to what we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. You've got a country with classic art and, uh, you know, steeped in art. So naturally, if you're going to make a horror film, it should retain all of the artistic elements that mm-hmm. are consistent in the culture. Yeah, it's just important in so many ways. Yeah. And in and a country that's in a state of economic and political strife, too, I'm sure that had to play a huge part in it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that, that was the nature of, of let's give people a fun scare because the, the fucking world outside the theater is yeah. scarier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's why when um, I love I have a love of all genres. There's I love cheesy action flicks. I love you know hilarious comedies, screwball comedies. I love intense emotional dramas. I love horror. But when people ask me what's my favorite genre, I always say horror because nothing holds a mirror up to the current society it's made in more than horror does. Because yeah. it's it's more re, it's the reactive thing. Certain things are always funny. Certain things are always make you cry. Certain things always are, you know, make you pumped up and excited. What's happening in the world today is what makes you scared. I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. My next pick. Uh, I think that I'm going to have to do a wild card on this one because I'm going to kind of shift my list around a bit here because I'm noticing that if I don't, right. you guys are going to take my good ones. So. I think I'm going to jump this up. This, you could argue, isn't a horror film, but I would argue is. I saw The Devil. It's a Korean film, uh, South Korean film. Like I had to say South. Um, yeah, it's a Korean film, and it's one of those where it's technically just an action film. I'm pretty sure that it's only labeled as an action in a drama, but it's about a serial killer and a man hunting him down with revenge on his mind in the most mean way possible. And the stuff that happens in it is horrific. It's not about getting excited for the action. It's about being terrified for the outcome. So. And talk about something that's been lost on a lot of horror movies is that they focus on trying to make the, the, the protagonist so badass that it's like, okay, it, it, it kind of eliminates the threat that they're yeah. going up against. It's like, yeah, yeah the, 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 uh, that's something I feel like there's like, I'm not going to call it the Marvel effect. It's not their fault, but it's currently the Marvel effect. Yeah. It's, it's a little hard to tell me that the Avengers can't defeat anything when you just told me they have a time machine so they can just go back and fix everything. Yeah. That's a ruins your threat. Yeah. So, but huh, all right, I'll have to check that one out. Cause I, I've heard the title on a number of occasions, but I have not. Yeah. Seen I, so I saw the devil's really good. Uh, it's my wild card though, because again, I could see, um, and Sean, you, you went to film school, you're more knowledgeable of this than I am. I could see it being argued that it's just a thriller at, you know, action film. It's not actually horror, but the events that happen to it are pretty horrific. So. Okay. All right. Uh, okay, for my round four pick, uh, it's the extreme violent classic Battle uh, Royale. Yes. A bunch of uh, school kids who are forced into a sick survival competition. I'm fra- imagine Fortnite with just some of the most extreme gore imaginable yes. for, for a movie. <laughs> imagine it's, Fortnite it's, with real weapons. 
Yes. Fortnite yeah. for real. Yep. Great film. <laughs> Highly influential too. I see I see moments oh, yeah. of battle royale a lot in other films. Yeah, you know those games of hunger. Yep. Those yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a friend who's really obsessed with Hunger Games and like she thought it was like, oh, and they've never done this before. And I had to go, you're about 10 movies oh. that did this before that. <laughs> so, all right. And Takashi Kitano is still oh, he's an amazing actor. Even, even when he's tap yeah. dancing. He's an amazing he's actor, producer, writer, director. I'm pretty sure I'm him, just and I don't realize it. <laughs> All right, final All right. round. Let's uh, let's. This is the this is the big one. Let's see here. Right. Round five. five. <laughs> yeah, this is a hard. All right, dish. I have. To, uh, all right, I guess. Oh god. All right, I. Uh, do I put a third Italian one on the list? If this is the last one, I have to decide. Well, all right, I guess. Black. I'll put Black Sunday on there. Um, oh, a solid movie. Oh, all right. But uh, we, we don't have a witch film yet on our list, do we? we don't. Uh, it's a, no, we, we don't. We don't no. have a witch vampire film, certainly. Yes. So um, uh, it's Bava, right? Or, yeah, oh, early yeah, Bava. Bava. Mario Bava, yep. Yeah, yeah. so uh, let's do that. Um, I want to put an honorable mention. I, I want to have a bench. Can I put pieces on the bench? Yeah, Only. Okay. Only because it was um, it was one of the first ones that I uh, that I saw. It was a rental um, I brought home and I had no idea what I was in for. And uh, then I think I think well, I will. There was a killer. There was a real uh, uh, life killer in the news at the. I want to say it was the Green River Killer, maybe at the time. Oh, it yeah. coincided with a news story that literally landed on my doorstep. Remember, I'm 12, so you know I yeah. see it on TV, mm-hmm. and you go, "It's just a movie." Nobody oh, cuts yeah. up people mm-hmm. and would make the puzzle. And then, like, I was looking for the sports page or something. I came across one of the ones that were being hunted at the time. He was the Atlanta child murder. Mm-hmm. One of the ones. Yeah. And it was impactful because it drove home that, uh, you know, it's maybe not just a movie and I shouldn't leave the house until I'm 20. <laughs> so Black Sunday is my official. And then I'll just throw pieces on there for its effect on me as a kid. Okay. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, great one. Uh, all right, John, you're round five, and you can also go ahead and bring up any honorable mentions. All right, so well. um, I, I tried to make my list spread out, I feel like, because there's a lot of these I love equally, but because I have tried to take different countries as much as I can, um, with that in mind, my number five is Lake Mungo, an Australian horror film that possibly is either the saddest horror film I've ever seen or one of the best edited and written horror films I've ever seen. Because depending on how you choose to interpret something, which I'm not going to get into because it ruins the film, it's, it, it can go one of two different ways. It's shot very... Um, I'll give you a, a brief overview. Family, um, their daughter dies, and they're going through some old videotapes and her diaries and stuff, and they're, they're doing like a videotape thing uh, as part of like a healing process uh, kind of issue and what they're finding is they think their daughter is haunting their house and it's not like a poltergeist thing per se which we're hurting them or anything like that it's just that they're actively trying to you know deal with this but then again with interpretation you can either kind of see that 
this is just them stress dealing with this or this is happening and then it has a twist and then it has another twist and it's incredibly well done I'm a giant fan of the film it doesn't I never hear about anyone talking about it there's literally one review I've ever seen online about it and it's just so good I wanted to bring it up so Lake Mungo huge fan um and uh, honorable, honorable mentions, mention. um, again, to spread it out a bit, uh, also just because these are great films, The Ritual, which is, I want to say Norwegian, but it could be Finnish. Um, Wreck, the fact that nobody mentioned Wreck was a little surprising to me, REC. Um, and then just... Oh, Wreck, yeah. Yeah. Like the original found footage zombie film. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, not Quarantine. Movie. No, uh, quarantine was good. Uh, quarantine was a decent American remake. I will, I will cop to that. And then, um, just because I want to say it, I want to say House or Husa. Asu. So those will be my bench. Um, I think the ring is good, but you know, and that kind of stuff. But hey, I'm going to leave that out. I'm just going to say Hausu because it's just it's. That's insanity. I've never seen sheer yeah. chaos and insanity put to film better than Hausu. And the script was written by the director's five-year-old daughter, which is so much. So much. <laughs> That's bold. That's what that is. That's bold. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Uh, all right. For my final, I'm going to be going to New Zealand uh, before he was uh, taken uh, <laughs> It's going to be <laughs> Peter Jackson's Love Dead it. Alive. How did I not think of that? <laughs> I have failed my family. <laughs> Just the absolute ridiculously gory comedy that, I mean, it, it takes Sam Raimi and then turns it up to 11. You've got the custard scene uh, with the, the mother's ear falling into the custard. Oh, You've got the, the lawnmower scene, which is iconic. And it's just uh, just some of the goriest, goofiest stuff you can ever see. I kick ass for the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that? Uh, 1992, 93. Yeah, it was like right around the yeah. same time as Army yeah. of Darkness. So right. good. So good. Uh, and uh, my honorable mention, uh, I would have to say the, it's a big one, but I kind of felt it was too obvious. Lucio Fulci zombie. It, yeah. uh, just big one right there. And also, surprisingly, the My Hammer selection, uh, The Hound of the Baskervilles uh-huh. with uh, Peter Cushing and Sherlock Holmes. Okay. Yeah, was, it is weird. Um, I'm sorry, John. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it is weird. I didn't put one Hammer film on my list. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't even... Uh, just, it's surprising. If you would have asked me, I would have had a hammer film on my list, but apparently not. Mm-hmm. Was Blood Sucking Freaks a foreign? That was one I was. Uh, that was. Uh, is, is that Italian? I know Chris. It's Chris Jericho's favorite horror movie. So let me see about <laughs> okay. Keeping the tie in. Yeah, keeping the tie in. You're not wrong. Uh, come on. I'm looking. 1976. Yep. Uh, I would not have picked Chris Jericho's favorite. Exploitation uh, is it French? I just feel like no American. Yeah, I kind of feel like would it. put that name on. <laughs> yeah, I really feel like this is Italian or French. Uh, all I got is redistributed. Yeah, by so Trump. good luck. 
Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know what? Thinking about it, though, and it has been a while since I've seen Bloodsucking Freaks. Oh, filming locations, Miami, Florida. Really? So wow. Really? Wow. I'm looking at these actors, and I'm thinking, that's... Oh, no, wait. No, sorry, no, wait. Blood Freak. I don't know. Okay, screw you. I am. Yeah, but yeah, well, I just, it's editing the word sucking out of your searches. That's telling very right. much, Mac. It's telling. It's, show, it's showing up too much on Monday <laughs> through Saturday. They're going to give it a break on the Lord's Day. Yes. <laughs> How is this so hard to find out? Like, <laughs> you know what? The fact that it's not showing up with the USA next to it probably says yeah. that it was. You're not wrong. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Well, looking at the like the actors' names, they're they're American, but like Luis de. Jesus is a character. Shame. Vision yeah, Vision Krem. Niles <laughs> McMaster's okay. Maybe he's Irish, but like a lot of these. I want to say that this is Italian or French leaning towards Italian. Okay. All right. Blood sucking freaks. I finally found the IMDb for it. And it says its language is English. No. Country of origin, United States. Really? All right. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. All right. I'm surprised. Well, there we have it for a Sunday morning. I know you guys out there are listening whenever you're listening, but we decided to uh, spend the Lord's Day doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Uh, If you read the Bible, you know the Bible has some horror elements to it. So I I mean, Tracy Lords is an important person. But I didn't know she got a whole day. <laughs> it's it's like it's a little bit carry. It's a little bit. Um, uh, let's see. It's a little bit. Uh, You've got at least two zombies in there. Jesus, right? And yeah. And, uh, you know, it's we, the, the treatment of the treatment of of Jesus very much like any of the bully. Uh, come back to kill the bully. Yeah, that's a. Uh, Except not kill. Oh yeah, you got some torture, some torture porn. porn. There. Yeah, there's yeah. some French New Wave horror <laughs> exploitation stuff going on. Um, it's a weirdly a large amount of bestiality, which is definitely more of an an, inta- mm-hmm. an Italian grindhouse kind of thing going on. Uh, you can also think of a company of wolves. You got some Neil Jordan yep. in there. So. <laughs> and uh, that singular book, uh, work of art, has been responsible for more deaths uh, in history than anything. So the, uh, yeah. the the body count is quite high. The real world body count is quite high. Yeah, one hundred percent. Jason's got nothing. No, that's on God. true. <laughs> he kills everyone like twice. Just yeah, restart. Seriously again. <laughs> uh, this yeah. is a lot of fun Sean thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule for this uh, it's, it's, it's been a blast meeting one of my f- he- personal heroes on uh, for uh, YouTube and content creation so yes, thank you very much man I've probably dispelled that with uh, <laughs> 65 minutes of hate <laughs> Sophia Loren got it All right. <laughs> you know what she's so hot I could have never gotten her that's true yeah I feel like no just to be clear I'm pretty sure we all have the opinion it's just like we read that as uh, he's just he just he's just angry because he couldn't have, he, he couldn't have got her that's all that is <laughs> well thank you guys it was a lot of fun I appreciate it oh, it was a lot of fun oh, thank, thank you, you. Uh, have a good day bye and that wraps up this episode of Mac in the Movies. Thank you again to Sean Oliver for taking time to be our guest. I'll have his social media and links in the description box. I'll have another guest or two on the next episode. Uh, feel free to take guesses on who and what in the meantime. 
If you like this content and would like to see the program grow, sharing the podcast would be an immense help. Uh, If you love movies, be they low-budget, obscure, controversial, badass, or any other adjective you can think of, uh, just help get this show out there. Uh, Share it with your friends or share it in your Facebook or uh, Twitter groups. That would be most appreciated. I do have a PayPal or Venmo as tip jars. Support media you watch or listen to, spread the word, or chip in a buck or two. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I have, I plan on uh, putting my Twitch back up later on uh, in the next couple of weeks uh, once I get a uh, portable AC unit that I can use while I'm streaming in this hot summer weather. Until then, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Mac and the Movies, signing off. Mm-hmm.